Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, listen, I want to just just open up this time in, in prayer. I know probably for a lot of you, you know, life can just get so stressful and so much anxiety can grip our hearts. And then we come to church and it's like, okay, I got to try to switch gears and, and try to hear from God and let God speak to my heart. Isn't it wonderful that when we just worship and we just focus on who Christ is, how it just melts away the anxiety and the stress of our life. Not that it's not there, but I want you to know that, that Christ is there to help us. That the word of God tells us to cast all our cares at his feet because he cares for you. He cares for us. We're never meant to carry those burdens on our own. And I don't know about you, but um, if you're here today and you, you're just stressed out <laughs> and there's a lot of anxiety, and I think sometimes for uh, the holidays for the Christmas time, you know, it, it, it can be the most wonderful time of the year and it can be the most dreadful time of the year for some people. It brings back memories. It's just a lot of stress, a lot of running around. And uh, I, I just want to pray for you today. Maybe you just had a bad week. Uh, maybe you had a bad month. Maybe you're just having a bad year. Um, I want you to know that the Lord cares and he wants to be your burden bearer today. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's a relational thing. Maybe it's a marriage thing. I don't know what it is, but the Lord does know. And I want you to know that he cares for you today. So this is a a message within a message today. It's free. But I want to pray for you today and just ask the Lord just to, to help you today and to realize that he's there. And whatever struggle you're faced with today, whatever you're going through today, you're not walking alone. That the Lord hears our prayers. When we call on his name, he hears us. And so I want to just pray with you today. Can we just do that as we, before we jump into God's word today? Father God, we just bow our hearts before you. And Lord, there are things in our heart, there are things in our lives that can just overwhelm us. And Lord, I thank you that your word tells us to cast those burdens at your feet because you care for us. That Lord, when we cast our cares at your feet, there's a peace that can enter our lives that can overwhelm us, that can protect our hearts and our minds in you, dear Jesus. And so we lay this request at your feet. We we lay our heart at your feet today. We want to hear from you today, God. Lord, it's so easy to be distracted with the things in this world and the busyness of our world uh, that it it just, it, it, it basically drowns your voice out from us hearing you. And we want to hear you today, God. We, we want you to speak to our hearts and our lives. And so we lay these burdens at your feet. And we thank you that, Lord, you give us peace. That you tell the weary, those that are burdened, to come. And you will give us rest. We need rest today, God. And thank you that you're not here to place more burdens upon our life, but in fact, to take them off our lives to be our burden bearer. And for that, we are so grateful, dear Jesus. So Lord, I pray that we would just hear your word today, that you would speak to us. And we thank you, Lord, as we cast our cares at your feet. For we ask all these things, all these things, in Jesus' most precious, precious name. And all God's children said, amen, amen, amen. Uh, We are finishing up our series in the book of James. We've been in the book of James for, I think, two, three months now. And uh, we're going to finish it up next week. And um, as, as we know, James was the, the half-brother of Jesus, the leader in the Jerusalem church. He writes this very practical book to a church, and for those, some in the church that were struggling, that weren't really living out their faith. And so James just cuts right to the point. He doesn't mince his words. 
He tells them, and for some in the church, what's wrong, what's going on, and how to fix it. And today, James is going to deal with the topic of repentance. I'm so glad that you're here today. Those of you watching online, don't tune me out just yet. We're going to really look at what that means. Because for many of us, we have so many different understandings of what repentance means. And much of them are wrong. And so we want to correct that today uh, through, the, through the Word of God. And, and James's point of the book was that we would have a living faith. That our faith wouldn't be something religious or something that's just part of my life or something I just go to church once a week. But James tells us that our beliefs should not be casual. That in fact, what we've been studying over the last several weeks is our beliefs should drive the way we live. It should drive everything. And, and if we're not living that way, there's a disconnect with the message of Christ. And what we discovered too is that our works authenticate our beliefs. What are we doing for Christ? How are we living that out? If I'm holding on to bitterness and grudges and blowing up all the time and getting in arguments and all this other stuff, if, if, if those things are, are, are common in my life and I'm not turning from those things, then there's a disconnect with what I believe about Jesus and what I believe about his grace and his mercy and what he actually did for me. And so James is calling out for authentic faith. You know, put, put, put your faith into actions. Don't, don't just be hearers of God's word, but be doers of that word. And so what's happening, what we're going to see in this section of, of James's letter is that there are those in the church that were actually taking advantage of others and they weren't walking in humility. And so James is going to speak right to their hearts and he's going to talk about repentance and what that truly means and why there needed to be a change of heart and a change of mind in their Life. And I want you to listen to James's words here. Buckle your seatbelts, because once again, James is going to get right to the heart of the matter. We're going to look at James 4, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 10. And here's what James says to those in the church who were taking advantage of each other, who needed to repent, who needed to change their mind. He says this, Submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? (laughs) Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Amen to God's word this morning. See, when we hear the word repent, and this is really the juxtaposition of what James is talking about, a repentant heart, is one that is humble before the Lord, that calls out to the Lord. When we hear the word repent, what are the thoughts that come to your mind? You're thinking the way I was reading that verse, like, whoa, pastor, calm down, right? We think of that hellfire and brimstone type preaching that's just dangling people over the precipice of hell and telling them, I need to repent from your sins, Right? And we hear that and we think, well, is, is that what repentance is? And it just reminds me, really great movie from 1960. The movie is called Pollyanna. How many have ever seen the movie Pollyanna? Okay, four of you that are 50 or older. Okay, so that's okay. It's a great, 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 great movie. And really, the premise of the movie is this. Um, you have this young girl, 12-year-old orphan girl, daughter of missionaries, who arrives in a small time 
town to live with her aunt. Her aunt is strict. She's powerful. She's wealthy. She runs the town. She's very influential um, in what she does. And the, the town all goes to church. And when they go to church, there's Carl Malden, if you remember that. He played this fiery preacher. And every week, it was this hell, fire and brimstone. He'd be sweating, banging the pulpit. And just. And the first time she went to church, this 12-year-old girl was like, what is going on? And Pollyanna's aunt loved it. And she told him, no, you keep preaching. You keep the hellfire and brimstone. And then Pollyanna creates this friendship with the pastor and allows him to kind of see repentance in a different way. It's a great movie about God's grace balanced with God's justice. Here's the thing. Here's here's two traps that we can easily fall into. We can either fall into the trap of just grace, 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 right? And God really doesn't care about what I do with my life. Or we can fall into the trap of justice, 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 where we're going to call out everybody's sin and then some, but never look at our own lives and where, where our lives stand up against a holy God, where we understand that every single one of us has fallen short of God's perfection and his glory. Amen? We understand that. What James does here is he shows his listeners, his readers, what they need to understand about what true repentance is and what it isn't. And what I love about the movie Pollyanna is it shows that there needs to be the grace and love of God that's driving all of this. The reason why God wants to have a right relationship with us is because he loves us. And because he loves us, he did everything possible to have a relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so what he does is there's this call to repentance. And so James gives them the answer to a wayward heart or a heart that is divided. He's calling them double-minded. You have a divided heart. You want one one foot in the world and then one foot in, in the church, but you're not living that way. And what James says is the way to a changed heart is repentance. So the question is, what is repentance? Is it all the hellfire and brimstone and just the justice and calling out everybody's sin and all the things that they've done wrong? And so we can tend to look at this negatively. We don't want others to tell us that we're wrong. So when we hear someone speak to different things or wrong behavior, we can easily get, right? We can easily get, okay, defensive, right? Wait, wait, who who are you to say that to me? Who made you judge. Why, why are you judging me? And see, we, we, we don't want to be shamed or to be made to feel guilty. And many people say the reason why I stopped coming to church is because I don't want to be made to feel guilty anymore. That's, you know, I can find that a lot of other places. And that's why I don't want to come to church anymore. And, and we can misunderstand James's words in the same way here if we're not careful. And so we hear things like, don't judge me. Don't judge me. But I want you to understand that repentance is more than a feeling or just saying, I'm sorry. It's a heart thing. Feeling bad doesn't change our hearts. See, when we do something wrong, we just want to get over and say, I'm sorry. But what James is saying here, God wants to get to a deeper place, and it's your heart. 
See, the problem is when we're called out for our wrong behavior, we can just try to get over and say, okay, that was wrong. And I'm just, okay, I'm sorry. But is there a change of mind or a change of heart? Are those things changed? See, that's really getting to the heart of repentance. Repentance is not simply behavioral modification. Because Jesus is going to call out that type of behavior. See, true repentance is a complete change of mind and heart. True repentance recognizes a couple of things. And it does recognize my sin. And what does that mean? Because for everybody's sin, we just don't hear the word repentance and sin outside of church, do we? You don't talk to your friends at the water curl and say, hey, man, I really had to repent the other day, you know. And, uh, you know, so I just repented, you know. Did you repent about that? Yeah, I had to repent. Yeah, we don't, it's not normal conversation unless we're in church. But, but what repentance is, and this is what James is bringing out in these verses, is it recognizes my sin. And what does that mean? Is it just simply pointing out all the individual wrong things we do in our lives? Because we could sit here all day and do that, right? We could look back over our lives and say, man, that was wrong. I did this, I did that, I did this. But really, what is repentance? Is it just recognizing all my individual sins? What sin is is this? It says, I want to do things my way. And that we've all, and it's recognizing that we've all fallen short of God's perfection. Sin means to fail or to miss the goal or to miss the mark. It means to miss wide Right, for you Buffalo Bills fans. I'm not going to talk anymore because I'm so depressed. <laughs> Anyways, okay. Listen, it's more than all these little individual sins. Say, oh, I've got to get better, I've got to get better. And this is this behavioral modification thing. God wants your heart. Parents, parents, listen to me real quick. Parents with kids. God bless you, by the way, <laughs> raising kids. Kathleen and I have raised three, and they're all getting older in their 20s, and we almost got the last one out of the house. Hallelujah. Okay. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Um, as a parent, you, you want to give guardrails to your kids, right? And I know as parents, sometimes we try to motivate them through guilt and shame. Because sometimes it works, and it's fun, actually, sometimes, Right? Look at all we do for you. Look at all we've done for you. Look at the clothes we put on your back. Right? We, we do that. You can't do this for us. Right? We get, and then it just, that always goes really well, doesn't it? Those conversations. Can you, just think of it. Can you just imagine for just a moment if Christ treated us through guilt and shame to motivate us to serve him? What kind of relationship would that actually be? Not a very good one. You see, what Christ is trying to do through repentance is grab our heart. Because if he has your heart, he has your whole life. Yelling and screaming at someone about all their sins will not change their heart. When we understand what God has done for us through his son Jesus, the lengths that he's went through to reach us by giving his own life for our sin and doing it through his grace creates something in my heart that says, oh my goodness, look at what he did for me. 
I want to serve you. I want you to transform my heart. I want you to give me your Holy Spirit. Parents, when you speak to your kids, you want to grab their heart. Not that you, you do put guardrails, you want them to be protected, but you want to grab their heart because you want to hear what's going on. Why did you do that? There's something always deeper than just the act. Okay, just making sure you guys are out there. You see, the sin is not so much all the individual sins we do because we do those. But what's the cause of those things? It's a wayward heart that says, I want to do it my way. And repentance is a change of mind that says, I was wrong for thinking this way. The Bible Project does a great job defining sin. I got it for you here, so this is good. They say this. Sin is about more than doing bad things. Many times that's all we think it is. But listen to what they said. This is brilliant. It describes how easily we can deceive ourselves and spin illusions to redefine our bad decisions as good ones. Sin is a failure to love God and others by not treating them with the honor they deserve. It's our inability to judge whether we are succeeding or failing, and it's that deep, selfish impulse that drives much of our behavior. And a perfect example of this definition of sin is found in Luke chapter 18. I love this story that Jesus tells. And Jesus tells a story about two sinners. I'll put them in air quotes. Two sinners. One is a Pharisee, very religious, does a lot of religious things. And another one is a tax collector. And they were just called sinners. Because many times they were looked down upon. They were looked upon as traitors for Rome. And they charged exorbitant you know, interest rates. So whatever it is. They were just looked down upon. They were just sinners. And so Jesus uses these two people as sinners and describes how different they are in their approach to Repentance. Luke 18, 11 through 13 says this. Jesus, speaking of these, this story and these two people, he says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Who's standing right behind you, by the way, God? Right here, this guy, I'm not like him. Because why I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. whip de doo da day right? See, the lie here is his good works separated him from quote-unquote bad people. Okay, we're going to go for it. We're going to see why Jesus condemns this. But then you have the tax collector. He stood at a distance He wasn't looking to get the attention to say, look at everybody, look at me and look at what I do. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. One looked religious and one was looked down upon and seen as a sinner. Here's what Jesus wants us to understand. 
He wants us to understand that the Pharisee was just as far from God as the tax collector. The Pharisee was more in love with himself and how he looked than actually loving God. But the tax collector recognized his need for God and showed his love for God by calling out to him. Now catch this, because every single one of us need to hear this. Because this is where a religious spirit, and I've seen it in 34 years of ministry, can slip into a church and it's ugly. Follow me. Please listen. I don't want this to be in our church. Notice what the Pharisee does. The Pharisee looked inward. And he said, look at what I do for God. That's an entitled spirit that is just as sinful as what the tax collector was doing. But disguised in religious service. It wasn't wrong to tithe, to give to God. It wasn't wrong to fast. It wasn't wrong to go to the synagogue. All those things he was doing. But he had a religious spirit that's just as bad as that tax collector. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay. I got a little hyper. I'm sorry. A little hyper. See, his self-righteousness came from an entitled spirit and how he looked better than everybody else by what he did. He took pride in that. Now, the tax collector, however, this is good. The tax collector looked outward and said, God, I need you. He had a humble spirit And his righteousness came from God, not from himself. There's the difference in repentance. Repentance recognizes our need for God. James calls for this type of repentance, a change of mind and a change of heart. And and James is very clear about the steps. The steps are very clear. He says, submit to God, resist the devil, Draw near to God, repent and purify your hands and your hearts. And we need to humble ourselves. And he says, and God will lift us up. So let's break this down. What what does this mean? Let's understand what James means here. Submitting to God is resisting the devil. They go together. Sam Albury says, the devil is not to be ignored or trivialized, nor unduly feared. But we close the door to the enemy when we draw close to God. When we feel mistreated, when I want to get back by talking about the other person to someone else, the enemy wants us to indulge in our pride and our ego. And when we do that, we open up the door to the enemy. But true repentance kills that attitude. And we humble ourselves before God. And we shut the door on the enemy. We close the door on the enemy when we don't give in to our pride. The enemy will flee when we don't give in to those desires that lift ourselves up like the Pharisee. And James tells us to draw near to God and he will actually draw near to us. And I love this, that God receives us when we do that when we humble ourselves. In Luke 15, we read the story of the prodigal son, right? 
takes his father's inheritance, which basically says, I wish you were dead, goes and blows it all on just loose living, immoral living, comes back, will do anything to be back home. He'll work with the servants. He'll do whatever. This is his mindset. And he comes and he's broken. He's beat up from making all the wrong choices in the world. And we've all done that at one time or another. Amen. Everybody said amen, right? He comes back and he's not expecting what he's about to get. The father sees him from a distance and meets him. Instead of beating him up and saying, yeah, you can come back, but you have to do this, you have to do that, you're going to have to do this, you're going to sign a contract, you're going to have to live with the servants, and I'm going to make life horrible for you. Now, what does he do? Puts a robe, kills a nice Angus cow beef steaks, Wagyu burgers, whatever you want, whatever your thrill is, right? He, he throws a party. Why? Because that which was lost came home. Repentance brings us home. That's what it does. It brings us to the heart of the Father. God's not up there wanting to beat you up. He's saying, when we repent of our wrong thinking in our heart and the things that we've done to alienate ourselves from God, God says, when you repent and you come to me in my son's name, I'm going to receive you. I'm going to welcome you home. That's why Jesus tells the story of the tax collector, which that would have just perked up everybody's ears. The tax collector, there's no way. He's just a lost cause. Not in God's economy. Not in God's kingdom. That's who he saves. Not the people who think they got it all together, who think they're self-righteous by what they do for God. No. He picks the worst of the worst of the worst and says, their heart is right before me because they called out to me in repentance. So God's grace is available to anyone who comes. Repentance causes us to look, James says, at both our hands and and our heart to realize that we must cleanse them. What what does that mean? Well, the hands symbolize us doing wrong things. Our waywardness from God causes us to do things that please us that causes us to be alienated from him. So he goes, cleanse yourself. If, if, you're, if your life has changed, then you will cleanse yourself. You're not going to want to go back to those things you used to do that alienated you from God. And I can sit here all day and point out all the sins that we've done that are wrong that can keep us from God. A true heart that understands what Christ has done for them is going to be one one that's going to want to live a holy life, that's going to want to please God by how we live our lives. See, a changed heart will always result in change of conduct. True repentance. Not just feeling sorry for getting caught or just going through some some religious calisthenics to make myself feel better. Some of you were raised that way where it's just like you did something wrong, you confessed, you say, say this, take three aspirin, call me in the morning, you're okay. But there wasn't a change of heart. That's not repentance, just saying some canned prayer. God wants your heart. When we come to him, we give him our heart. See, we're all going to struggle the rest of our lives with sin. Can I get an amen? 
We are. Aren't you guys glad you came to church today? I'm just so glad that you're here. We're all going to struggle, but in our struggle, there's this hope that Christ will be with me. And I can t- continually go back to him and give him my heart and say, God, it's, 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 it's you and against you that I've ultimately sinned. It's that relationship that we formed with God, that intimate relationship that we formed with God through his son, Jesus, that he's directing my heart. So when I feel like I'm doing something wrong, and it may not be the big sins, but just small things that I've left unguarded in my heart. And God cares about those small unguarded things because the small unguarded things are small seeds that grow into big trees. So when we're able to get to that point with God, we're like, God, guard my small little unguarded things and I give those to you because I want my heart to be checked before you. This is what God desires, not to beat us up, not to hang all our sins over our head, but to say, I want you to live this life because I care about you and I don't want anything to impede my relationship with you. So why is this so important? Because my conduct... If my conduct doesn't change, there's something wrong. And James said, there should be mourning over our sin. And those that James wrote to were really not concerned about that. That's why he's so, his words are so sharp, because he wanted to wake them up. If we are callous over our sin, something is wrong. If it doesn't bother us, something is wrong. The Holy Spirit in us should always speak to us about waywardness. And if you're not listening, I'm I'm not talking about condemnation, just condemning you, condemning you. I'm talking about waywardness that draws us closer to God. Condemnation always draws us away from God. But true repentance will always draw us to God. This is what James said. This is his word, and I'm going to believe it, no matter what you say, right? Why should we be concerned over our sins? Why should we be concerned over things that we know are wayward that don't match up to what God's will is in our life? Why should we be concerned about those? For this reason, it cost Jesus his life. We deserve death, yet through Christ we're forgiven. So we should grieve over our sin or over our wrong thinking. Not not a type of grief that says God can never forgive me, but this grieving that says something was destroyed in my relationship with God because of my conduct or my behavior. And God says, I want you to draw draw close to me. And when you draw close to me, I'm going to lift you up. I'll give you my grace. Draw close to me and you will resist the enemy, your own pride. You will shut the door on those things when you draw close to me and I will will lift you up. That's the good news in all of this. And here's the reason why. Because we tend to have regret over our sin, the regret that I got caught. And when I have remorse, I think about what my sins do to others and ultimately what it has done to God. True repentance understands what it has done to God. And and also, there's other things that happen. It, It can destroy my marriage, it can destroy my relationship with other people. It goes on and on and on. God cares about that. So my sin draws me away from God, not closer. So where is the good news in all of this? Here is the good news. James says, when I'm humbled by God, he will lift me up and this will free you. This will free you. 
When I'm able to be humble before God and say, God, I need you, I call it you, I'm not going to depend on my performance to please you because that will never be enough. You'll feel good for a day or two and then you'll do something and you're going to say, oh man, I failed God again. I did something good for God. I failed God again. I failed. And it's just a, it's, it's a merry-go-round that you'll never get off of. But we have Christ now to turn to. This is different. In Christ, positionally, I'm made right before God. Does that mean I'm never going to make a mistake or never sin again? Absolutely not. But positionally, in Christ, I'm righteous. Through Christ and my faith in him, through his works and what he's done for me, makes my relationship with God correct. That doesn't mean I'm never going to struggle again. But what it does mean, now I have a relationship with Jesus Christ that I can run to him and give him my struggles. In Christ, I have the humility to admit when I'm wrong and apologize to other people. Like, you know what? My attitude was wrong there. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Instead of relying on my pride and saying I'm never wrong, I'm never going to say I'm sorry, whatever it is, or, or just justify our actions. When we're in Christ and we're humbled by that, we can go to others and say, you know what? We've all done it, right? We've all done things that are unbecoming of our witness of Christ, right? But when Christ is in us and the Spirit is guiding us and we're humbled before God, we're able to say, I'm going to own up to this part. I was wrong. God will lift you up. First John 1 John 1.9 says, We confess our sin. He's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all what? Unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? He's not going to push you away. He's going to cleanse you again and again. Cleanse your hands. Cleanse your heart. But always remember, the individual sins are a result of something that's deeper in your heart. And for all of us, it's that waywardness of wanting to do things our own way. It's our own pride and wanting to be right. It's all that stuff. The Spirit of Christ crushes that in me. That's why Jesus was able to say, look at the tax collector. He called out to God. He called on his mercy. And he found forgiveness. Even a tax collector. That's how God wants us to approach him with humility, and he will lift lift us up. So let me ask you a question before we take communion today. What areas of your life need to change? What areas of your life need to change that you need to start thinking differently about, that you need to repent of in a way that changes your heart and your mind? What do you need to... Just think of this. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been just... Working your heart over in some areas of your life, that's okay. That's actually good, by the way. Because if it's truly repentance, it's going to draw you closer to Christ, not further away. So, so, where, so where are you? Where, where are you in that whole thing? Are you listening to God? And what are something that you said, yeah, this isn't correct, this attitude isn't Christ, like this thing, and I need to repent of that, and I need to give that to the Lord. What area of your life that you need to give to the Lord? And this, this is such a perfect segue into communion. Because Jesus says this, whenever you do this, whenever we take communion at the Lord's table, we're remembering Jesus didn't want us to forget what he accomplished for us on the cross. 
that he became our substitute, that he bore all our sins upon himself. He who was perfect without sin bore our sins so he could appease and, and he could meet the righteous demands of a perfect God. Jesus met them for you and I because he's perfect, because he was God. So when we come to him at the Lord's table, what we're recognizing is that Jesus, you and you alone are the only one who can forgive my sins and cover me anew and afresh. Even the Apostle Paul says, before you take communion, examine your heart. And you can do that right now and say, God, just examine my heart. I need your forgiveness. I need my heart changed. I need my mind changed in this area of my life. Help me with this. How many of you know that our growth in in Christ is, is a constant work of sanctification? So let him keep sanctifying you, sanctifying me, sanctifying us. Amen. I'm glad he's patient with us, aren't you? So as we take communion, as you hold the cup in your hand, I want us to be reminded of Jesus' death. So you can take the emblems out, and we're going to take communion today, and the, the worship team's going to make their way up. Listen, you might be here today, and let me just say this. Say, Pastor, should I take communion? Should I not take communion? Let me just say, communion is open to anyone who's part of the family of God. And maybe you haven't made that commitment to Christ in your life. The Bible says that when we turn to Christ and we recognize that he's Lord and Savior and we repent of our wrong thinking, he will save you. He will save you from God's judgment. No longer will God's judgment be towards you in Christ Jesus because of your faith and because of God's grace. You can do that right now. Take communion and thank God for what he's done in your heart and life. Amen. Anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord, the word of God says, you shall be saved. God will save you from his judgment. No longer are we enemies of God or objects of his wrath in Christ Jesus because of what he accomplished for you and I. So the reason why we take communion, we remember that it's all through Christ, only through him, that we can find forgiveness and we can find a covering for our sin, that God no longer holds it against us. So when you stand before God one day, it's not going to be in your good works or whether or not you read through the Bible 15 times in one year or how much money you gave, all all that stuff's fine. But the reason why you're going to stand before God one day and be able to have the gift of eternal life is your relationship with his son and your faith that you put in him and how he transformed your heart and how he filled you with his Holy Spirit and made you a new person. Amen? That's a lot of hope. I needed to hear that this morning. Can we pray and thank God for his precious gift of his son? Lord, we we come before you Lord, none of us in this room is perfect. Lord, it's so easy to allow things to grip our heart that is not of you. Humble us, God. Help us to realize that without Christ, we would be lost. So we thank you as we hold these emblems in our hand, the the bread which symbolizes uh, the body of Christ and, and the cup which symbolizes his precious blood that was shed for us. And we knew that there had to be a sacrifice made in order to appease the righteous demands of God. And Jesus, you did that for us in your perfect body. Without the shedding of blood, there, there, there could be no forgiveness of our trespasses, of our sin. And Jesus, you did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that humbles us. And that should make us grateful. 
So fill us with your grace and speak to our hearts today in the areas that need to change. As we repent of those, as we change our mind and our heart of those things, Lord, cleanse us anew and afresh today. And I pray, God, that you would heal marriages, that you would heal relationships by our act of contrition and repentance before you. You do the healing, God. It's amazing what you do through a repentant heart, God. It's amazing how you restore relationships, but most of all, how you restore our relationship with us by us admitting that we need you and we need your mercy and your grace. Thank you for doing everything and providing everything for us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your body. And let's partake of the cup together, thanking him for his precious blood that was shed for us. Let's partake of it together. Amen. Amen. If you're able, would you stand with me? We're just going to close in song today.